0: Hey, it's Bill Simmons. The Ringer is very excited about our new podcast that went through a lot of name iterations. What'd you decide on, Larry Wilmore? Larry Wilmore, black on the air. <laughs> what, what was the runner-up? Well, the Bill Simmons idea was was it Lar Lar Land? Lar, <laughs> was that what it was? Lar Lar Land. Lar, lar Where with do the, what, la, you think people are going to subscribe to Lar, lar Land? <laughs> that joke was that it would be the worst idea for a podcast. No, it was horrible. You don't want people thinking worst when they're no. Signing I wanted up you to, to a have podcast. a good one. This is a very good name. So, what's going to be on this podcast? It's going to be me kind of uh, weighing in on some of the issues
1: of the day with my audience, and then I'll be interviewing some really cool people during the podcast each mm-hmm. week. It'll be somebody different uh, sometimes with like culture sometimes politics sometimes sports sometimes maybe an interest of mine sometimes television I've worked a lot in television yeah we got Norman Lear coming up Bernie Sanders Neil deGrasse Tyson so lots of great guests awesome welcome
0: to the podcast world, Larry, Larry. Wilmore subscribe to Larry Wilmore's podcast wherever you get your podcasts
2: Welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a writer for TheRinger.com, as is my colleague and my co-host, Michael Bauman. Hello, Michael. Hey, what's up? We've got a lot to get to today. We're going to do a spotlight on the NL Central, which is one of the more tightly compressed and topsy-turvy divisions in baseball so far this season. A bunch of teams either under or overperforming. The last place Pirates are only six games back of the first place Cardinals, who are only a game ahead of the Brewers, who are a game and a half ahead the Reds, who are only a game ahead of the Cubs. So we're going to talk later in the show to Adam McAlvey of MLB.com about the Brewers. We're going to talk to Zach Buchanan of the Cincinnati Inquirer about the Reds. We're going to talk to Sahad Sharma of the Athletic Chicago about the Cubs. Apologies to Pirates and Cardinals fans. We're going to talk about them in detail today, but they, I suppose, have surprised us less than these other teams thus far, but we'll get to them. It's a long season. We do a lot of podcasts so we will start with consensus preseason best team in baseball, the Chicago Cubs, who today on May 15th are a losing baseball team. They're 18 and 19 after their loss on Sunday. I will say before we get into any doom and gloom, last year's Cubs had an even worse stretch from mid-June to mid-July or so. They had a stretch of 37 games where they were 16 and 21 and were outscored by 13 runs. And that was a World Series winning team that most people Thought was the best team in baseball. So this can happen, but it's not an encouraging start to the season. So to talk about it and explain why things have been going wrong, we have brought in Cubs beat writer for the Athletic Chicago, Sahadev Sharma. Hey, Sahadev. Hey, guys. How's it going? Yeah. All right. So give us the depressing parts of the season so far. Why have <laughs> the Cubs not been a winning team? And we'll answer separately whether they will be a winning team sometime soon.
1: Sure. Well, first of all, uh, you mentioned the rough stretch before the all-star break last year. That was, Mm -hmm. I want to say a five and 15 stretch if I'm remembering correctly, but that was uh, largely based on pitching. Starting pitching was going through a rough patch after being dominant for much of the season. And I guess the reason that was never really a concern for most people was because that had what, two and a half months at that banked it banked already of great baseball. So it was Mm -hmm. hard for people only the, you know, the regular fans that they get freaked out about everything Cubs that happened even the slightest thing they freaked out about of course but Mm -hmm. you know you have two and a half months of greatness banked it's hard to really freak out about a little stretch that looked like guys were just tired and and there were good reasons for that that played a lot of games in a lot of days outside of that this season is it's just it's it's the starting pitching again best ERA last season uh, starting pitching wise I think overall they were best uh, ERA this season I want to say they're in the lower 20s I I haven't looked in the past couple days uh, the pitchings actually been a little bit better but it, it's very few deep starts Uh guy like Jake Arrieta who didn't who had a so-so start today but he thought his stuff was good Joe Madden was all about the start really liked what he what he had to see but uh, he's not getting ground balls he's he's missing bats more regularly than he has uh, did last year but he's putting a lot of balls in the outfield which is an issue right now the outfield defense we uh, right. we've talked about this defense that's just been Awesome. One of the best defenses we've ever seen. And Mm -hmm. this year, Jason Hayward's now hurt. But even when he was healthy, he was playing a lot of center field, which just, you know, he's average at maybe slightly above average. That's putting Ben Zobrist in right field, who is not a good right fielder. Kyle Schwarber, we know struggles in left field. Maybe he's not Adam Dunn out there, but he's not, you know maybe he'll get to average, but he's not there yet. And the numbers have Albert Elmore as below average, which, you know, my eyes tell me differently, but I also see some balls that he's kind of stopped short on and let someone else kind of die for when he probably should have just run and made the catch uh, little things like that. And John Jay struggles in center field. So you're talking about a lot of guys that deserve playing time, but also maybe playing out of position, maybe playing a position that they're just not as good at defensively than maybe somewhere else. Uh, It's it's a little odd. It's it's a weird setup because I (laughs) I wrote the other day that this is a team built on depth and it's almost as if when they're healthy, the depth is almost hurting them in a way because you want to play John Jay, you want to play Ben Zobris you want to play these guys because they do have positive attributes, but they're hurting them in defensively when they play in the outfield. So it's, it's a weird dynamic. Uh, those are the two biggest culprits and of late. The offense has just been really inconsistent. It looked like they turned things on about, 10 days ago and that Yankees series, I think kind of sapped some energy. I I don't know what it was. It just didn't look right in the Yankees series, even though they had some nice, uh, some big hits. There just weren't, there wasn't enough consistency and then not scoring a ton of runs in Colorado was weird. And then, and then now this uh, losing two or three to St. Louis, just not enough consistency with the bats and the injuries are starting to pile up. Nothing major, which is, probably the best sign for them. And some, there's some life coming from the starting pitchers. I want to say in the first 30 games, they had two starts of seven or more innings. That's it. Last year Mm -hmm. they had 10, not as many quality starts, relying too much on a bullpen that's done a brilliant job but just isn't you know you you have to rely on them so much eventually you're going to see cracks and you're going to start using guys that aren't as good because uh, the good guys are being overused so all these little things adding up I wouldn't say it's time to panic just yet but you know they're they're Things that I I don't have clear answers for sometimes.
3: So ordinarily, when you see a team that had the season that the Cubs had last year and coming off their, their exceptional 2015, that would build up a lot of goodwill, a lot of good feeling and confidence in the fan base that they would that they would bounce back. Or even if they don't, that's OK. You know, we just got a ring. We'll get him next time. But on the other hand, this team is so young and the core is going to be together for so long that there was this, you know, the I think everybody thought that the World Series last year was just the beginning. So how is everybody sort of taking this? Is is this like they're going to get it together or is it, oh, my God, we're back to another hundred years of losing?
1: I mean, it's it's pretty mixed. there's you know, it's hard to judge things just via Twitter because the people that jump it. Your mentions are usually the most (laughs) negative. So I try not to judge it off that group of people. But, you know, if I, when I talk to friends or when I just around the ballpark, stuff like that, when people ask me what's wrong, they seem pretty calm about it. They just want to know what's going on. They want more details and and want to understand why they're struggling. But yeah, there, there's definitely a segment of people that said, okay, well Lackey's a year older. Arietta, this is just a you know a continuation from last year of the struggles and it's getting even worse. You know, Kyle Hendricks is still sitting only 86. And actually, Hendricks is if he's if he's gonna tick up, I'm not concerned about him at all because he's looked really good lately without mm-hmm. even his best velocity. And we know he's not a velocity guy, but the fastball command has been there. He he looks better. Even if the velocity is not all the way back, I'm not worried about John Lester. Brett Anderson just didn't work out for them. And that's too bad because that's a guy that you kind of want to root for the way he goes about his business and all the struggles he's had. But yeah, there's definitely some group that's like, well, this was bound to happen. They went too deep and uh, they had these little issues that we were overlooking and now it's all adding up to disaster. But they're most I think most people are like, OK, let's just wait and see. There are clear issues. I'm a little concerned about this, that and the other. But let's let's see what happens Uh, six weeks in. You can't freak out because they haven't played well and they're still hovering around five hundred and there's nobody in the division that you look at and said, well, they're going to run away if you don't start getting things together. So I think that's the prevailing thought process for everyone that, you know, isn't just prone to freak out at the slightest hint of, uh, of a bad uh, week or whatever, because there are legitimate issues and you just want to see you, for me really, it's just all, all about the starting pitching, getting back together. I think the defense will figure things out once you get Hayward back, which it sounds like possibly Wednesday uh, once you get him back, I think that really solidifies the outfield defense. And you start, I think you'll start seeing a time where Joe goes with his best defensive outfield. He'll figure out uh, how to really pl- get everyone plugged in there. But I think at times, if it's going to cost you this many runs, I think you have to put your best defensive outfield out there. And and I don't, I don't buy that Elmore is going to be a negative defensive player all season. I think that'll quickly turn around according to the numbers too.
3: So, you mentioned Brett Anderson, and you know, he's hurt and he hasn't pitched all that well when he is healthy. How long a leash is, do you think he's going to be on when he comes back? And if the Cubs do go another direction, is Eddie Butler that long term solution, or do they move Montgomery to the rotation? Or, you know, what other options do they have?
1: Yeah, I think you name the options, uh, at least immediate options, with Brett Anderson. I don't know if we'll see him again in a Cubs uniform in the big leagues. I, he has to come back healthy. Uh, Pitch in the minor leagues in rehab and and look great, or Eddie Butler just has to be terrible. But because even if you go look at his game log, there are some nice starts from Brett Anderson. uh, You know, ERA wise and whatnot. Early on, hit or miss. It it was it's kind of up and down, but you know the results were fine. But if you watched those full games, they weren't good. They weren't good starts. He was getting guys on base and lucking out, getting out of jams here every other inning. It was, and he'd even say it. He said, I don't, he's like, I didn't like this. I wasn't happy about that. I don't have command of this pitch. I, I got to commend my defense for helping me here. Uh, I got a lucky ground ball there. So he was, he was admitting it. He wasn't where he wanted to be, and then it, it didn't get. He, he, but it felt like a positive sign in the sense. Well, oh, it, well, he's still getting out of jams. He's gonna get that. You know, he's gonna start getting ground balls at a crazy rate. This infield defense is just too good to not, you know, fall in love with an, A ground ball guy. And then uh, two starts in a row. I want to say it was one and one third, and then a third of an inning, and it was just nothing. Everything was a line drive or out of the ballpark. It was a really rough two starts, and I think he got hurt on throwing a fielding a bunt, or it was either a swinging bunt or a regular bunt, and and he got hurt throwing that, and and lasted a few more batters, and and it, since then he's been on the DL. But it's I'd be surprised if he comes back in a Cubs uniform. I really would be. He has to really pitch well in the minors uh, on a rehab. Otherwise they're going to have to find another home for him or just release him. Eddie Butler looked good. He just doesn't get a lot of swing and misses, but I I don't know if you guys saw that start, but the stuff is really impressive. He was touching 97 pretty regularly. I think he was sitting 95, 96, 96, so he's got a four seam, a two seam, a changeup, a breaking ball, and now he's added a cutter that he's never used at the big league level. And uh, the scouts I talked to really like that, uh, kind of mixing it up there. I, I don't get why he doesn't get a lot of swing and miss. A couple guys that I talked to suggested he, there's not a lot of deception. And then even those guys went on to say it may not matter just because that stuff is really good. So it was an encouraging start on Friday. I still want to see more command. Uh, I want to see a little more swing and miss. But I guess if you're looking at just a back end guy, maybe he doesn't need all those things to come around. If he can just get, you know, weak contact or a ton of ground balls, he'll be fine. And Montgomery's been really good. I want to say the walks have started to come down. And that was my biggest concern with him early on because he was walking a ton of guys. It was it was bad. It was, it was to the point where, you know, it was pushing 20% walk rate. And I want to say lately he's he's done a better job. He he's, hasn't given up a ton of runs. The walks haven't hurt him. And that's because of the the ground ball rate for him too. He gets a ton of ground balls. So he's an option. I think maybe when he's starting he'll use his full repertoire and you won't see the walks as much. Maybe guys will be more prone to chase a curveball. I think that's, I've, I've seen a lot of that really nice curveball that guy just didn't bite on and you know sometimes an ump has a tough time calling that uh, curveball a strike even though it may pass through the zone little things like that I've seen add up with him and I wonder if that's hurting his walk rate but I've liked the you know it, it just he doesn't get hit hard very often these aren't you know future. I don't want people to think, okay, they did it with Jake Arrieta. They're going to do it with every other, you know, failed prospect, but they are nice rehab guys. The guys that they've kind of fixed it almost that, that can be quality starters, maybe not dominant starters, but pieces of a rotation. I guess the next question is, but are they pieces of a, of a playoff rotation? And I think that's ultimately what you need to find out uh, over the next two and a half months, right before the trade deadline. So they have time to figure this out and they have pieces to figure it out with, to go and get another guy. And I, I guess that's the next step really figuring out how aggressive they're going to be. And, and you, we, we all know how aggressive Theo and
2: Jed uh, will be if they believe they can win it all. You mentioned the offensive inconsistency. There were a bunch of players in the lineup that we weren't sure what to expect from this year. Of course, you had Hayward coming off the disaster 2016, rebuilding his swing. He's been better, but not dramatically so. You had Mm -hmm. Baez, who has not taken a step forward, seems to be his usual impatient self. Russell, who a lot of people thought was on the verge of a breakout, the power might be coming, hasn't really taken a step forward. And then there's Short who I think everyone expected to hit regardless of what he would do in the field, and he hasn't hit either. So is there one of those guys you're particularly optimistic about or maybe another you're more pessimistic about or just one of them or, or more who will look a lot different from his current numbers at the end of the year?
1: Of that group of players, I would say I'm most, most confident in Schwarber. Uh, you know, I, am really surprised by this start. Uh, we all saw the world world series. We all know how good he is, how great of an at-bat he takes. I, I've said this stat, I've written this stat a thousand times, and I'll, I'm going to say it again because it's so impressive. He missed pretty much the entire season that comes out there and doubles off Corey Kluber and takes a walk off Andrew Miller. He was the second mm-hmm. lefty all season to take a walk off Andrew Miller. Yeah, you, That's not normal. That's not a normal thing to do. So the numbers with him are a little weird. The strikeouts are high, but if you look at his swing and miss, it's not high. It's it's right around, if not a little below league average, which is mm-hmm. great for him because he's always had a little swing and miss, uh, at least at the big league level. So that's a little weird. If you watch him actually play, he's missing his pitch. He's He's getting right under it or he's just driving it right to the right into the shift or right to the warning track. Uh, So I guess the question is, does he adjust somehow or does whatever the slight adjustment needs to be that he doesn't miss that pitch, whether it's timing, whether it's, you know, something that he's not seeing the ball as well as he needs to, whatever it is. I believe he can make that. I I know he can, because I know he's, ultra talented and he's got all the skills in the world to make these type of adjustments. I just believe the guy's work ethic and talent will, will eventually shine through the guys that I'm probably most worried about. I'm, I'm a little worried about Wilson Contreras just because Contreras, he's got so much to learn on the catching side of things that that's, it's difficult to really rely on him offensively uh, Javi Baez I think w- what you're going to see with him is just up and down offense he's he's in a little bit of a zone lately where he's been hitting the ball well but right before that it was just really bad and people were wondering if you bench him and and starts Obrist every day you know these are the same people that were screaming that Baez has to start every day over his overest so you know he he's just the type of guy that he'll get out of it he'll start he'll start to feel himself almost he'll get too good <laughs> like it, it happened in the World Series right It was so mm-hmm. great and the NLDS and NLCS. And then all of a sudden in the world series, he started chasing that breaking ball and, and he needs to know how to hit in two strike counts. It's all of a sudden, like he forgets everything that he learned. So he kind of goes back and forth. I really like what I've seen from Hayward. People always complain about that swing. Uh, the swing was a mess last year. Guess what? It's been a mess pretty much his entire career. I, I don't talk to very many scouts that say, "Hey, I love Jason Hayward's swing." So it's all about him. With him, it's really about just timing and balance, and really getting, you know, getting everything working right. And it, he had it kind of early in the season. And then it kind of right before he went on the DL, it wasn't looking so good. So you know, I, I think he'll be just fine. I, I, nothing special, but he brings uh, value in other ways that this team really needs. And Russell is probably outside of Schwarber. I'm most surprised by him. He's just, he looks like his career where he gets hot and cold, hot and cold, but I don't see any big glaring signs of, Oh, this is a big concern. He's, he's starting to go the other way uh, a lot more. He still has pull power. So he's so young and so talented. Like the two guys that I really believe are still going to have big seasons are Schwarber and Russell out of that group. The other two, I, I can't say for sure. I don't feel as confident and especially with, with bias just because I know how he gets when, when he gets hot, all of a sudden it's, it's like, he tries to do too much because he thinks he can do so much. So I think just a little bit more maturity there and, and he'll get it. And he's a, and when I say maturity, I don't mean like, he's a, like not a hard worker or a bad guy in any way. It's just, it's, you know, he, he just starts to fall back into these old habits and, and he just needs to avoid that.
3: So the last one for me, uh, the Cubs have over the past four or five years or so led the league in drafting college guys that I absolutely love. And the last real high pick they spent was on Ian Happ, who is now two games into his big league career, homered in his debut. So after 48 hours or so, how much do you love Ian Happ?
1: (laughs) Well, Ian Happ, I mean, I'll be honest, I was down on Ian Happ. Uh, The scouts that I talked to outside the org really weren't big fans on him. Uh, I I talked to a lot of people in the offseason and then I watched him in spring training. It was the first time I had like extended look at him. And I was like, what exactly do these scouts not like again? Because he raked in spring training. And I tried to, I kept reminding myself, it's just spring training. It's just in spring training. Then I talked to more scouts and they're like, he looks different. He looks more on time. He looks balanced. The swing issues that I saw early last year, he adjusted middle of last year, and and he's really taken that and and run with it. So guys really love his offense. There's no doubt the guy was major league ready offensively when the season started. There was just no place for him to play, and he's also has he needs to develop defensively. He's most likely end up at second base, and he probably you know you'll be happy if he's. Uh, average there. I I think that's, which is fine. I mean, the comp uh, Jason McLeod gave me when he was drafted, he said, perfect case, perfect scenario is he ends up like Jason Kipnis. That was the dream. And I guess that's that's what we're seeing him push towards, right? If he's a great offensive player who's just okay at defense, maybe a tick below. That's basically what Jason Kipnis is, right? And Jason Kipnis is a guy that has you know put up a, not at, maybe not a full MVP season, but like he plays like an MVP for at certain points. Uh, I'm not sure if that's an aggressive prediction for Ian Happ, but Happ is definitely a top uh, top tier prospect, and he's kind of. Um, won over some of the people that were, you know, not so sure on him, including myself. Uh, I guess the other thing is how long is he with the Cubs? Cause we've already talked about them trading for a pitcher. If you're going to be real aggressive and go after a guy like uh Chris Archer or, uh, you know, whoever ends up being available, uh, at the deadline, it, you're going to have to probably give up someone like Ian Happ. I mean, I, I they, they love Eloy Jimenez, who's been hurt. So I, I don't think, I think they'd be hard-pressed to give up Jimenez, but they, they may give up Happ. It, maybe that's the guy that's moved at the deadline to really fix the rotation.
3: Yeah, you talked about people on Twitter. That's one I get a lot is when do they move Happ for whoever archer or whatever whatever pitcher i'm like you should keep him like he's <laughs> <laughs> all right
2: so the cubs started the season with i think close to a 90 percent odds of winning the division according to fan they are under 70 percent now Wow. is that how <laughs> much your own expectation has changed or it sounds like maybe not quite that much i'm not there
1: yet i i need maybe if they're struggling like this uh- This point in June, maybe, you know, maybe I'll start feeling a a little more... Uh, worried, But I really think a hot streak's coming. All units haven't clicked at the same time. And sometimes you just have those years where they never click. I, I know that's definitely a possibility. I just, there's too much talent here. There's no devastating injury. The one guy that has gone down is the one guy pretty much everyone kind of predicted would go down and Brett Anderson. So there's no, there's nothing here that screams to me that uh, I'm terrified about this team. Uh, I'm going to be watching the velocities of certain guys uh, on the starting pitching staff. Staff. I'm definitely going to want to see them go deeper, more consistently this last week, 10 days or so that seen that a little bit more, uh, which is definitely a positive step. I still think, you know, they're going to win 90 plus games. You have to wonder who's the, what team could you know actually challenge them. Cardinals are looking great. And I I say this before every year when I want to count them out, they they just perform better than than the talent on the paper suggests they should. So I, I I'm not going to count them out. So I think you know I'm I'm not gonna I'm just not going to worry about it until until there's a reason to, and that that's uh, either a major injury to a key piece or we're deeper into the season and we're seeing the
2: same sluggish performance. All right, well you can follow the forecasted Cubs resurgence at the <laughs> Athletic Chicago, where Sahadev covers the Cubs. You can also find him on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Sahadev, thanks as always for your time. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, so we will be right back to talk about the second place Milwaukee Brewers with MLB.com beat writer Adam McAlvey. Today's episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, the smartest and easiest way to get tickets to every MLB game. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing the best plays of the year in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's the easiest way I know of to shop for tickets. If you get the SeatGeek app, you can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, instantly find seats. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. It doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available too. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. And to get that $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, and then enter the promo code Ringer. MLB. That's all one word. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. So download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERMLB today. So as we speak, the Brewers are in second place in the NL Central. They have the best run differential in the division. And to find out why, we are talking to the Brewers Beatwriter for MLB.com, Adam McCalvey. Hey Adam. Hey guys. So we all spent April talking about Eric Thames and not that he's not still worthy of discussion, but I want to ask what else has been lost in Thames mania? Why have the Brewers succeeded so far aside from Thames?
4: Well, it's been balance. And, you know, that was a word that came up a lot when they uh, acquired Thames and Travis Shaw to get a little more left-handed. They've been a very right-handed team the last couple of years. But I mean, balance just in terms of up and down the lineup, they're getting contributions. And I think that's been kind of the story so far is they take their catching situation. They've got two guys that they've replaced, Jonathan Lucroy and Martin Maldonado. I think that was a position where people expected kind of a step back in production. And instead, they're, I believe, still top five in Major League Baseball in terms of uh, production at that position. So they're right at this moment now. Will it sustain? I don't know. But at this moment, they are a really difficult team, one through nine. And, and their Mother's Day win over the Mets, a, a comeback from down six, was a really good example of that. It was really every spot in the lineup you could point to doing something good uh, to get that win. And they've just had a lot of games like that recently. I'm surprised, frankly, that they're as good an offensive team. As they
3: are. We never really had a a good chance to get a handle on Craig Council as a manager because he was one of those guys who was hired with very little coaching experience and the Brewers weren't ever expected to be good since he took over. So, have you seen a a change in him? You know, how's how's your opinion of him as a manager changed over the past couple weeks?
4: I don't know that it's that my opinion of him has changed, but I think what we've learned about him is he, he is not a slave to bullpen roles. You know, he has two set up guys this year, for example, or at least that's how they went into the year, Corey Knabel and Jacob Barnes, who he's legitimately used in whatever situation he feels like is the biggest spot. And every manager talks about doing that. And then until you got to Andrew Miller uh, in the postseason last year, nobody actually did it. But Craig Council has done that with those two guys, and now they're making already a change with Neftali Flees backing him out of the quote-unquote closer role for a bit because he's not been pitching well for them. So I think that's one thing. The other thing is he's quick to go to that bullpen. He is not a slave to 100 pitches. Um, he is not looking to squeeze every inning he can out of his starting pitchers. Even in April and May, he's making pitching changes within games to try to win the game. So I think that's that's sort of how I think of him as a manager so far. He's not a bunter at all with his position players. If if ever a position player on this team bunts, you know that's the guy doing it on his own. So there's a lot of things I think that the uh, you know that you guys would like about Craig Council. is he doesn't he's not a slave to the old rules is, is I guess the best way to put it. And and I think he's enjoying being able to explore some of the new ideas that that we've all been talking about for a little bit outside of the game and, and the best way to manage a team. I think he's sort of putting a lot of that into practice with this club.
2: And so the outfield has been the biggest source of non-Thames offensive production on the team. Braun <laughs> was really good before he just went on the 10 day DL. Domingo Santana has been good. Keon Broxton has been very good over the last month or so after a painfully slow start. So Has Broxton done anything different or was that just small sample randomness? And is Braun going to be on this team as I I guess as long as it keeps winning? Maybe I'm kind of asking whether you think it will keep winning. But of course, he was a preseason pick for midseason trade target. And now that looks a lot less likely than it did then.
1: Well,
4: look, I keep, I'm, I'm the wrong guy to ask about Braun trade because I keep vacillating on what I think is going to happen here. I, I mm-hmm. think uh, uh, for a while, I thought it was just unlikely he was traded because of the contract, because of the PR baggage that he would bring with to another team. Then he almost did get traded last year in July to the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. And depending on who you ask, that was potentially within a minute of happening. So that came right down to the wire on August 31st. Um, and he was almost a Los Angeles Dodger. And Yassiel Puig was almost a Milwaukee brewer, which I still can't quite wrap my head around how that was.
3: <laughs> it would have been fun.
0: <laughs> it would have been
4: really interesting. Yassiel Puig, you know, let loose in Milwaukee. I, I don't, I, it would have been great. But now I'm sort of back to being skeptical that that's going to happen. And part of this is that the owner himself said uh, at their fan fest over the winter, an idea that I had kind of heard other people talk about on the side. And this was coming from the owner that, Perhaps that that near deal with the Dodgers was the right team at the right time. And if that didn't happen, it's hard to think of another scenario that would happen. Now, that that was interesting to me because it was, you know, you think of Braun as a Southern California guy, you know, that's a team where payroll is not an issue. They can easily take on that contract. A team that really, really needed a right-handed bat because of their well-documented struggles against left-handers. Ryan Braun is the best. Uh, has the best OPS against lefties of, of active players in Major League Baseball. And it was just a deal that for a lot of different reasons made sense and they couldn't get it done. So if they can't get that done, how do they? How are the Brewers going to find any match that makes sense? So I think, you know, outside of their winning right now and whether it's sustainable, I, I still think that, that makes me believe it's unlikely that they're able to find a deal for him. And they're just going to have to try to keep him as healthy as they can and productive. For Ryan Braun, it's simpler than for any other player I've ever Come across when he's healthy, he's great. It's as simple as that for me. He is not a guy who's going to make swing changes. He's not a guy who's you know going to grind for for weeks and weeks. He's just a roll out of bed and hit kind of guy when he's healthy. So they need to keep him healthy. Now, Keon Broxton is sort of a different player. He's a guy. He's a, a guy who's going to make lots of adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, up and down four times. Uh, any other club, you know, the Brewers were fully in rebuilding mode the last year. Any other a team in any other situation um, would have moved on to the next guy. But the Brewers thought that there was an athleticism there that they were curious about and they wanted to be patient with and, and play it out. So he was up and down four times. The fourth time he comes back with this really dramatic adjustment where his hands, which had been kind of up near his shoulders, are all of a sudden down near his belt. He looks like Eric Davis when he stands in the batter's box before he begins his swing. And it worked for him. And it led to this five or so weeks in uh, August and September, uh, where he was the most productive player on the team. And he was one of the most productive hitters in the National League. So I think that explains their patience with him coming into this year when he was off to a really brutally slow start. And they, they stayed with him. This year, there was no dramatic adjustment. As you said, it was a couple of little things. He moved a little. He backed off the plate a little bit to be able to better handle inside pitches. And uh, he talked about getting his lower half a little bit more in sync. He just wasn't quite on time. But he was able to work those two things out. Uh, He's become a really good right field hitter, opposite field hitter. And that's helped him a lot. It looks like a lot of his power can be to right field. And he's become a really uh, productive hitter again. He's a a fascinating guy. And I I am hard pressed to find a more lopsided trade, kind of an under the radar trade, but it was um, Broxton and a pitcher, Trey Supak, who's one of the Brewers' top pitching prospects. He's an A-ball having a great year right now for a, a first baseman named Jason Rogers, who's at AAA for the Pirates. Uh, it was not a very good trade for the Pirates at this point uh, because the Brewers think Broxton is a player.
3: The unspoken question, whenever a team, you know, the, the Brewers weren't expected to be all that good this year, but they're right in the race right now. And, you know, obviously some of that has to do with the Cubs underperforming, but you can sort of tell despite everybody says, Oh, we're out here to win, you know, to compete for the division title in spring training and, And so on, like you can sort of tell when that changes, when like they think they've really got a chance and you can sort of see it around the fan base as well. So has that mentality changed? Has there, you know, has there been a shift in morale or is this just so early and everybody's just sort of enjoying the ride?
4: Well, this is always really hard to tell because when a team wins, your morale is obviously great. So the morale in the clubhouse right now is great. There are four games over 500 for the first time all year, uh, and they're winning games that it looks like they should lose. Mother's Day, again, they were down 7-1 after five innings to the Mets. That's, that's a loss for the Brewers last year. It's just not a question. This year it's a win, and they've had a number of games where this offense is able to just grind away against opposing pitchers in a way that a team last year that led the league in strikeouts, led the majors in strikeouts with an all-time record, was just simply unable to do they're they're able to sort of play those types of games this year i think when you have comeback ability you're a team that you just by nature become a team that believes in itself so they believe right now and they're in this let's shock the world type of mode but you know it's mid may and the games count just the same as they do at the end. So I'm not one of those who's going to totally say you can't look at the standings at all in May like some people do. I mean, they should be looking at the standings and they should feel good about what they've done. But the question, I think, is sustainability. This offense is, at a, is playing at a very, very high level right now. I am curious, especially if Ryan Braun remains you know, off and on with, with injuries, whether that's a sustainable thing. We've seen our friend Eric Thames come down a little bit. He's still getting on base, which is great. He's not hitting home run. You know, he's not hitting 11 homers a month, which is, you know, I think we should all be uh, not surprised that that he's not going to hit 11 homers a month all season long, but uh, he he's definitely come down. So I think some of the offensive numbers are likely to come down a bit. And then it's going to be on this pitching staff to start to perform because so far the Brewers have hit their way past some shaky to say the least pitching and What's interesting now is that they do have options. For years, the Brewers would have poor pitching, but when people would complain about it, my answer would always be, Well, what's your alternative? And there often weren't a lot of good alternatives. I think now they're in a position as an organization where they do have some good alternatives. For example, as we're talking here on Monday, Junior Guerra is getting ready to pitch his first rehab game, coming back from a calf injury that he suffered in the third inning on opening day. So he's got two minor league games and then. He's back in the rotation. That means someone's going to have to come out, and then down in the minor leagues they have uh, Brandon Woodruff, their minor league pitcher of the year last year, a sinkerball guy who's now he's up on prospect list, but he he hasn't to this point been a huge prospect in baseball. But he's a guy that's pitching at a very high level at a tough uh, environment at AAA. And they have a couple of other, um, I think Jorge Lopez is another guy, a, pitch, a, a good pitching prospect for them, who fell off last year because he just really struggled in the thin air in Colorado Springs where their AAA club is. He, they have him at A now. They kind of decided he's one of those guys that they're going to keep away from AAA, and he's pitching quite well at uh, A this season. So they have options if they want to make some changes in that starting rotation. So I think for players like Willie Peralta, who had another poor outing yesterday, for Zach Davies, who was excellent last season, but has not pitched well, uh, command-wise this year, and looks like maybe he could. It wouldn't be the worst thing for him to go out somewhere and and sort of refine that command a little bit. I think some of those players, they it's incumbent on them to to pitch better, or the Brewers might be tempted to start to make some changes based on where they're at in the stand.
2: So, lastly, as you mentioned, David Stearns has done a good job of not only restocking the farm system with trades, but also assembling these depth guys and making sure that there are very few positions that are just complete zeros. And that's why you look at the Brewers roster and maybe the names aren't all that familiar to you, but the overall production is pretty good. And the Brewers won 68 games the year that Stearns was hired very late in that season. Then they won 73 last year. Maybe they've done enough already this season regardless of whether they decline from here to ensure that they won't be worse than those win totals. So is this the nadir for the Brewers? Is this the Brewers bottoming out and not really bottoming out all that far? Because we've seen the Cubs, we've seen the Astros go through their rebuilds and have low 60 win totals or 50 win totals. Is it possible that the Brewers could get through this rebuilding process without ever having that truly terrible season? Well, yeah,
4: I've, i joked kind of that David Stearns and Craig council, the, uh, you know, their biggest failures so far is that they haven't lost enough games during this <laughs> rebuild. I mean, they're drafting ninth next month. They should be drafting third or four. If you're a team that, you know, is going to go full blown rebuild as they did, they just happened to hit on some players Johnny VR, for example, you know, that was a uh, uh, David Stern's trade. That was a minor deal. You throw him at shortstop, you think, wow, they're going to be bad at shortstop this year. And then VR eventually he moved to second base when they called up uh, their prospect Orlando Arcia. But VR turns out to be a top 20 OPS guy. So it's they've won, I think they have won more games so far than expected uh, during this rebuild. It's making the drafting challenging as they're trying to add to that farm system. But I think what you said may be true. And I, I you know I know a lot of the, the fans that I'm in contact with, and look, they see things a, a certain way. I get that. But a lot of the people watching this team every day feel like that that corner has perhaps been turned. Now, I don't think they're going to win the division this year. But is this the year that they start to sort of uh, adjust the outlook from this acquire, develop, and retain mantra that David Stearns has talked about in terms of adding talent to the organization. Do they start focused now on, on wins and losses? And, and it may be the year. I asked David Stearns that question a week or two ago, and he basically said, the team's going to dictate the timeline. And he's been saying that all along. They've been really hesitant to talk about five-year plans, for example, like Theo did when he took over the Cubs. They've not wanted to put a timeline on this thing because now they have the flexibility to make that pivot whenever they think is the right time to make that pivot. It's going to be a hard call for David Stearns as they get into July. Do you sort of dip into that farm system now and start making trades to add players yet, or do you wait a little bit? That's going to be a really tricky, interesting call, I think, for him. And it's going to be based on what the rest of the division looks like at that time, what this team looks like at that time, and what their needs are. Um, Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is right now, they have this player, Hernan Perez former Tigers prospect came up to the big leagues at 21 uh, really wasn't much for the first couple of years. You know, one of those nice defensive young guys that you can put in there at shortstop to finish a game and that you feel good. You know, you feel some comfort having at the end of the bench because he can play a bunch of positions. Well, now he's become like the Brewers, Ben Zobris. And I don't think his offensive numbers necessarily will jump out at you when you look at the statistics, but when you look at the way he can play, You know, yesterday, for example, three positions in one game. He's played shortstop and center field in the same game, which is a a pretty key skill. He can play everywhere all all over the diamond and you don't notice him, which is to say that he's good at all those different positions. So he's become this super valuable piece for Craig Council, whether that means he's on the bench to start a game or as he's been lately starting left field with Ryan Braun in the DL. I think it makes it tricky as David Stearns looks at where he's going to where he's going to add if he does decide to add on this roster, at least on the offensive side. Perez always gets in the way because you think, well, this guy's not better than Hernan Perez, and Perez plays so many different positions well that he sort of gets in your way as you're trying to add to the team, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know that's that's one guy to kind of keep in mind as as you look at what the Brewers might need and and what sort of complementary, maybe a more minor trade at at this stage of their rebuild as they kind of turn their quarter to
2: competitiveness.
4: I think Hernan Perez might kind of get in the way of some of that. And and I'm not very sure that they're disappointed about that.
2: All right. Well, you can follow the rest of the Brewers season and rebuild at brewers.com, MLB.com, Adams reporting. You can also find him on Twitter at Adam McAlvey. And thanks for joining us.
4: All right, guys. No problem. Anytime.
2: All right. Our next guest is, in his own words, hopped up on painkillers. is <laughs> on the one-day DL after a routine procedure, but... The Reds have not caused nearly as much pain for their fans as was anticipated this year. That's a good setup. Yeah, thank you very much. I had to do a little work to get there. So the Reds were expected to be, if not the worst team in baseball, probably the second worst team in baseball. And here they are, middle of May. They are a winning baseball team. So we are talking to one of the Reds' writers for the Cincinnati Inquirer, Zach Buchanan. Hey, Zach. Hi, how are you guys? We're doing okay. So the Reds have the third highest wins above replacement total from their position players, right after the Nationals and the Yankees, which is certainly not something I would have expected. A lot of that comes from defense. They are currently the best defensive team in the majors, according to both defensive run saves and ultimate zone rating. Now, Eugenio Suarez and Zach Kozart currently rank 10th and 11th in the major leagues in war, which maybe is a reminder that it's still fairly early in the season. But is the defensive turnaround real? Was that something that people expected, that the Reds would be one of the best defensive teams
0: in the big leagues? I don't know if anybody would have expected that they'd be the best, but, uh, I, I, expected they'd be pretty good. I mean, Zach Cozart was a very good shortstop last year when he was still dealing with kind of the actor after effects of coming back from a major knee surgery. And now he's completely healthy and is a terrific defender at short and ha- always has been. And then their outfield last year was, was pretty good. Billy Hamilton is phenomenal in center as he's always been. Uh, Adam Duvall, is showing that uh, his year in left wasn't a fluke, that he's a pretty good left fielder out there. And then Scott Scheveler, I've been really impressed with in right. He seems to have very good instincts. He's super athletic and uh, has been better throwing the ball than uh, than expected. He he used to have a really terrible, terrible arm that they used to joke that uh, when he'd throw to the plate, catchers would lose the ball in the lights. And so they've been better than uh, expected a little bit out there. But, the, I mean, you mentioned Eugenio Suarez. I mean, he's been the revelation so far. He struggled really badly transitioning to third last year from shortstop. And he he was a solid shortstop in place of Kozart in, uh, in the second half of 15 after Kozart got hurt. But he wasn't sensational back there, and he had some work to do. And he really struggled at third the first half of last season and then kind of seemed to figure it out as the second half went along. And this year so far, he's just been nails. I mean, he's... He's really worked hard with their infield coach, Freddy Benavides, to get his footwork down and to maintain his focus. His focus seemed to be a big problem for him last year. Joey Votto has talked about how Gino's throws are much more accurate to first than they used to be. And Joey, a lot of times last year, had to kind of leap off the bag and make these crazy swipes to get guys out from some throws that he would get from Suarez. And so that's probably been the biggest difference from a year ago in terms of their defense. And then that you had Jose Peraza playing kind of a more rangy second base than Brandon Phillips was able to play. And and Joey Votto also kind of figuring out some of his defensive issues from a year ago. And and so it doesn't surprise me that they're pretty good defensively. I don't know if I would have pegged him as the best defensive team in baseball, but uh, they've kind of played that part so far this year.
3: So I wanted to ask specifically about Suarez because he's been the most surprising member of the team for me so far. I mean, I was calling him Eugenio Velez, the the former Giants outfielder, uh, in the much more recent past than I probably should have. But you know, what's he doing at the plate? That's different. Is he just on you know the hottest six weeks of his life, or is he doing something different in terms of approach or swing plane or
0: something like that? Uh, I don't know that he's doing much different. I don't. I don't think that he's someone who thinks too deeply about hitting. I've tried to ask him that a couple times and he started off really hot last year too. And, uh, and then kind of really went into a crater for a while there, but he's very much the guy that just kind of, he says that his approach is just to see the ball and hit the ball. And I think he's, he's worked to get rid of a bit of a leg kick to help his timing a little bit, but that was something he started working on last year. And I think it's just, it's purely about having a, a quiet mind at the plate for him and not, Uh, worrying too much about other things and I do think last year that he kind of carried his defensive struggles to the plate a little bit and and maybe vice versa and uh, this year he just seems much more assured of himself and uh, at home at third and and at home with his role in the majors Uh, I don't know if he'll he'll keep kind of this type of hitting up but uh, there there are a lot of people that believe really highly in him that he can be a pretty good hitter And uh, he's got surprising power for his frame and hit 21 home runs a year ago. I I think he can be a pretty good third baseman. It remains to be seen whether he'll be good enough to kind of fend off Nick Senzel when he's ready in a a year or two. But uh, I think the hot version of Eugenio Suarez, maybe not the scaldingly hot version, but the hot version is is something that you could expect to carry over a full season. I think he's talented enough.
2: So last year the Reds had a sub replacement level pitching staff according to fangraf stats, which is a rarity. That's not something that happens often. And as you would expect, based on Scott Feldman being the opening day starter and Bronson Arroyo being in the rotation, rotation still not a strong point but this year they seem to have a bullpen and that bullpen because of the rotation's weakness has been asked to pitch the most innings of any bullpen in the majors so Are they up to it? And what do you make of the experiment to the extent that there is an experiment so far? Because I know that Brian Price wanted to do away with roles to a certain extent and and get a bit creative out there.
0: I think the experiment is fascinating. Uh, I mean, it's the one thing heading into the season that I think you could you don't get to say it about the Reds very often. They're doing something that no other team is doing. And what mm-hmm. they're doing with their bullpen, they're doing something no other team is doing. And it's it's been really interesting to watch. And Brian Price has been pretty true to his word about being aggressive with these guys and not having a set closer. He brought Michael Lorenzen in in the third inning in Pittsburgh early in the season. He's brought Rysel Iglesias in in the fifth. He hasn't held one specific guy back for the final outs of the game. And he's been helped by that group being really deep right now. We got a, a sense of it last year when both Iglesias and Lorenzen came back from injuries and uh, and they moved him into the bullpen, and they were really good and really solidified that unit. This year, they've been able to add to that Drew Storen, who has been uh, more effective than probably expected, considering he's throwing like 89 to 91 and kind of dropping down out of different arm slots and basically trying to be a different type of pitcher. And then Wandy Peralta, who's a, a left-hander they called up in September last year, who just got his head kicked in. And uh, this year has kind of added a slider to his fastball changeup mix and has just been really, really good. And so Mm -hmm. they've got a really much more deep unit than they did a year ago and a willingness to use those guys in creative ways that has really kind of alleviated the issues that the, the rotation has caused. My big question is how long they can keep this up because they have, like you mentioned, had to pitch way more then any bullpen should really be expected to pitch, especially early on. They've gotten some deeper starts lately as Bronson Arroyo has kind of, you know, gotten his, his stamina back a little bit. Scott Feldman threw a complete game. They got somehow got eight innings out of Lisa Alberto Benilla Saturday. So it, th- there's been less stress on the bullpen at that point, but uh, they, they've had some games where, you know, that everybody in the bullpen has either pitched multiple innings the day before or has pitched two out of three or something. And they've had to, make some a ton of call-ups and sending other guys down just to get fresh pitchers up. And uh, it's not sustainable pitching as much as they have. And they need to get better consistent performances out of the rotation. And they've, they've pretty much tried every option at this point to do that. Every guy, just about every guy that's on the 40 man that they can call up or send down without having to risk someone on waivers. And uh, it's really the the next help they're going to get is maybe, Sometime in June when Brandon Finnegan will be back as opposed to maybe bringing back rookie Davis or Amir Garrett, who they sent down in the past week. So it'll be interesting to see if they can make it to that point without really the wheels falling off. Or if some of these guys will start pitching better, more consistently entering the season. It it seemed like a really thin group in terms of experience to me. And it was concerning to me, but they've been able to get through it so far. I, I just question how much longer you can keep doing it this way without really pushing someone past the brink of what is wise, I guess.
3: Yeah, and to that question, yeah, you know, the answer to this might very well be no, um, but it strikes me that this involves a lot of, there's not like the autopilot aspect of having a sixth inning guy, a seventh inning guy and a closer or whatever. And Brian Price is one of, I think only three former pitching coaches who are managing in the majors right now. Does his experience
0: as a pitcher and as a pitching coach help him sort of think through this bullpen management? Well, I do think as a pitching coach, he has a better feel for what pitchers can handle and when is too much. He very rarely gets guys up without bringing them in a game. And especially with, if you're going to be using Lorenzen and the for these multiple inning things, if you get them hot, you pretty much have to use them. You can't get them hot and then not use them because you're adding even more stress onto their arms compared to what they're already doing. Uh, so I do think he has a better feel for kind of marshalling his bullpen resources and what these guys can handle so I do think that helps him a, a lot. I mean, we we rarely have to talk to the the pitching coach, you know, for any reasons, you know, whether we're doing features on guys or asking about things cuz Brian is really plugged into what these guys are doing. And what about Amir Garrett? Is he going to be back sometime soon? He'll be back very I w- I would expect he'll be back like almost immediately after his minimum 10 days in the minors are up. They mm-hmm. it, they it's they've said it's purely about managing his innings. Of course, they they get some service time benefit from that. But uh, I think he was supposed to throw maybe one or two innings yesterday or the day before, just whenever his turn came up. Uh, but he only threw 145 innings last year, and they want him to pitch into September. Uh, and that'd be a pretty extreme jump. I think he was on pace for like 192 if he had kind of kept pitching in the rotation in the majors and averaged about the same innings per start. And so they're going to do that with a lot of these guys where they're going to send him down for – Just a real short stay, just to take some pressure off of their arms. But uh, he's been so good that there's no reason not to bring him back immediately because he's kind of been a stabilizing influence for the rotation.
3: Yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to see what he thinks, and you know, maybe this is the sort of thing where he just keeps his mouth shut to not rock the boat. But like that probably will have some service time implications considering how early he came
0: up. I do think all these guys were prepared for this this inevitability entering the season. Brian talked with, with all the young pitchers about how they're going to be doing this, you know, whether they're pitching well or not to manage their innings, because they want to get the most out of them in the majors without putting any added stress onto their arms. Although in, in retrospect, I mean, we didn't see it coming at this point for Ramir just because he had been so good. Uh, and he had really been their best pitcher so far. But in retrospect, when we talked to him after his last start, he had kind of gutted his way through six innings I can't remember the team he was facing. And afterwards, uh, he he had pitched pretty six solid innings. Uh, he didn't have his best stuff, but he, he figured out a way to get it done. But afterwards, he seemed like really disappointed and was kind of surprising considering that he had just had a pretty good outing, just purely kind of on moxie. Uh, and I think he might have known at that point he was going down and was disappointed with it. So I'm sure like he's not happy to be going down, but the groundwork has been laid with all these guys that – that they know what's coming. And I I feel like Brian Price is pretty good about looping guys into what the organization is planning to do with them. Some other managers are, you know, that's a weak spot for them. The guys get sent down and it's it's a surprise, which is what you never want. And they would be even better if they hadn't gone one and six against the Brewers
3: who they don't face for another six weeks. So do you think they'll have a plan for Eric Thames by the time the Brewers come (laughs) back around?
0: I don't know if they'll have any kind of plan for Eric, specifically for Eric Thames. I mean, the guy is clearly the best baseball player on the planet. But uh, I, I think with, with the Reds young, I don't think they game plan against hitters so much just because they, they have such a young pitching staff that they're focused on teaching these guys to just do what their strengths are. And they don't want to overburden them with how to attack this hitter than this other guy. They just want them to to pitch to their strengths and really just, it's going to be a change for us as writers in the next couple of years when some of these guys establish themselves because we're going to start having to think about pitching from a more uh, complicated perspective because right now it's really just like, well, we just want these guys to throw first pitch strikes. It's as simple as that. Like they're, they're not adding on these extra layers to to pitching at this point when it's really just about getting in good counts uh, and commanding the fastball. And so it, it kind of feels like recovering, you know, pitching one-on-one right now with a lot of these guys learning to kind of get the job done. Up here, So uh, I'd be surprised if they really specialize for any hitter, even Eric Thames.
2: So the Reds' underlying stats are pretty consistent with their record. They've outscored their opponents, and yet we had a different evaluation of them a couple months ago, or at least most people did. So how much have they changed your mind since opening day and... Do you think, well, they've done enough to kind of keep themselves out of the cellar and have a truly terrible season, but they're going to go downhill at at some point soon? Or do you expect this sort of success to continue?
0: I don't expect it to continue. I expect them to be competitive and certainly better than they were a year ago. And I expect them to be, I think when Ben, when you had me on effectively wild before the Mm -hmm. season and I gave you my record prediction, I think I said 70 wins, I Mm -hmm. think I expect them to be better than that now. I really thought that the pitching staff was just going to jump the track and it would Mm -hmm. be a disaster early on, especially after they've had all these injuries. And it it hasn't been that bad yet, and they should only get guys back who will help the situation. So I, I think they will be a better team. I think their lineup has been surprisingly lacking Significant weak spots. I, th- I thought some of these guys would take steps back, and they really haven't, except for maybe Jose Peraza, who still seems to be trying to figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. So I-, I think they'll be pretty competitive, and the division is certainly pretty muddled right now. That uh, the-, the the Pirates and the and the Cardinals don't seem like their best selves, and uh, that presents a lot of opportunities to make up some ground. But I don't think they're going to finish with a winning record. I-, I don't think they'll finish even remotely close to eighty one and eighty one but they should be Mm -hmm. playing a lot better baseball than they did last year. And uh, I think Reds fans should be able to kind of see what the next good Reds team looks like by looking at this group, it shouldn't take too much kind of straining to see the future.
2: All right. Well, you can follow the Reds all year in the Cincinnati Inquirer. You can find Zach on Twitter at Zach E-N-Q. Zach, thanks very much for coming on. Well, thanks. I hope I didn't sound too loopy. No, I don't think anyone <laughs> would have known if I hadn't announced it at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Thank you. Okay. In closing, got any bold predictions about this division, Michael? You have any counterintuitive takes on who's going to win it? Counterintuitive? No, I think the Cubs are going to get... Mm-hmm. After all the
3: time we spent talking about how we were wrong, I still think the Cubs are going to write the ship. But mm-hmm. you know, we're getting to the point where you start changing your uh, your initial perceptions.
2: Yeah, I had the Cubs as the division winner, and I'm still sticking with that. So we'll be back a day later than usual this week. We'll talk to you all on Friday.